Okay, if you've got a Bible, would you please like to turn to John chapter 1? If you are a visitor, we are on a series at the moment just looking at the early uh, verses of John chapter 1. You can find them, uh, the previous sermons, uh, on iTunes or on the uh, church websites if you want to uh, hear what has been said before. Uh, But today we come to John chapter 1, verses 10 uh, to 13. And there they are. I think I've done 10 to 13. Oh yeah, 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to... His own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the rights to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. I don't know whether you've ever put yourself in my position, um, and uh, perhaps you hadn't ought to do that. Uh, But as a preacher, sometimes you actually wish that you didn't have to preach on uh, verses in the Bible uh, because sometimes they, they are hard and sometimes they uh, challenge your very being. You would rather not bring uh, what appear to be uh, negative things uh, to, to the church uh, because you, uh, you want them to be easy listening and, uh, and comforting. Uh, that preachers suffer sometimes with that weakness of wanting to be liked. So when you've got these, some of these verses, uh, you think that you've got Phil's verse next week, uh, which is much better than mine. And of course, you know, what I want to do is that I, I want to encourage you. And, uh, uh, and, I, and uh, I, I don't want you to, as I'm preaching, for your shoulders to particularly drop as the time goes on. Uh, don't want to send you out uh, into alcohol and drugs or, or anything like that. Uh, but yet when we meet Jesus in the Gospels, you find that Jesus often uh, brought truth to people uh, and yet it uh, caused offence. We know that Paul uh, wrote to Timothy and said, uh, yes, Scripture is, all, is God-breathed, but there are parts of it that bring reproof and there are parts of it that bring uh, correction. So I hope you can see in the midst of these verses my, my heart to, be, uh, to, bring, to do it with integrity. So I thought the easiest thing when I looked at these verses was actually to skip verses 10 to 11 and to actually preach a sermon on the sonship of God. Uh, and I just felt that I was not being true to Scripture. So here we go. And uh, we will see how we go from there. So let's start at the very beginning then. Verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now the he that we're talking about here is the he that we have been talking about in the verses before. And he is described as the word, the words of God, the word of God. He's described to us as the true light, the light of the world. And we, the person that we're talking about, the he, the words of God, the true light, that person is Jesus. 
That is whom we're talking about. And what it's saying is that Jesus was now in the world that he made. The person who made the world is amongst people. And you're supposed to get the idea at this point, the writer who's a man called John uh, and uh, one of the disciples, you're supposed to get an idea of the awe of that statement. You go, oh, (laughs) Jesus is amongst people. You're supposed to get an idea of wonder. You're supposed to marvel in it. And we know that because he constantly repeats that thing so that his readers might catch the idea of it and perhaps even break out on the right-hand side of their mouth with a faint smile or even a little bit of delight. So in verse 3, he says, All things were made through him. The creator of the world is here. Verse 14, which Phil will come to. Phil, I'll only mention it, promise. All, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt amongst us. You're supposed to just shake your head with, with uh, wonder. All that power, the creator, all that magnificent power that was done in creation now stands here in front of me. And that's the, what you're supposed to get the idea of. And in the middle of that awe and wonder, uh, and you're supposed to get to feel the irony and the tragedy of the situation. Because it says there, yet the world did not know him. So the idea is that you're supposed to pump yourself up with, my goodness, one of those statements. It's, a very, it's, a, it's what my mum would say to me often. You know, my goodness. You know, that, was the, that was the height of excitement in our house. And you're supposed to go, my goodness. And then you're supposed to go, no. And that's, what you, that's where the emotion of this passage is supposed to take you. You're supposed to just go, that is incredible. And then you read on and you go, no. <laughs> Absolute No. Yet the world did not know him. So Jesus is introduced to us here as someone you do not know. John, the writer of this book, actually uh, says himself in verse 31 of the same chapter, I myself didn't know him. We can get a a little bit lost in the the phraseology of know. Is that know like I know Kali or or that sort of thing? Recognize is another word. But If you look in the the commentaries and you take the original Greek, it is much deeper than that. The word expresses a heart attitude. Or or put it it like this. It wasn't that they didn't know him. It actually means that they didn't want to know him. They didn't want to recognize him. So now we're looking at, at the heart attitude towards the person that comes in. And it can be described like this. Get that? Bang! Indifferent. Or in, indifferent. In this verse, we actually see the indifference of the world to the one who created the world. There's a guy called Webster who often uh, who has written uh, dictionaries. What a great life that is. 
just think, get one, don't you? Well, well, he he writes uh, in his dictionary, and he describes indifference as apathy, a lack of feeling for anything or any for against anything. Sorry, apathy, lack of feeling for or against anything. He goes on to say, not interested in or concerned about something. Neutral, having. Uh, no prepondering influence or value. And there's a guy called uh, Joseph Fletcher. Joseph Fletcher was uh, 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 a priest and something that we perhaps shouldn't even dare to quote in our sermons. Means that we're good reformed charismatics. But looking at the, the verses here in John's Gospel... He wrote this, and bear with me because it's written in a little bit of old English. He said, The true opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Hate, as bad as it is, at least treats your neighbour as thou, where the indifference turns your neighbour into an it, a thing. This is why uh, we may say that there is actually one thing worse than evil itself and that is indifference to evil in human relations uh, the nadir of morality the lowest point as far as the christian ethics are concerned is the manifest phrase i couldn't care less creator is amongst you god has come he's in flesh couldn't care less. Now, you may agree with that, or you may not. And actually, a lot of theologians uh, don't half rabbit about that phrase. But, we, you know, you may agree. But what is interesting is that the Old Testament, the idea of the Old Testament, is that it is, it is building a book that will uh, unveil this incredible person called Jesus on the world. Right from in Genesis all the way through, it opens up story after story after story that points to a coming saviour. You could actually say that the Old Testament actually is about Jesus. It is a book where it reveals this person who will come. And there's often been some things that have said um, that, you know, that the incarnation, Jesus slipped into the world... I actually think that's rubbish. If you look at the incarnation, does that look like that Jesus slipped into the world? Think of the the Roman view, Herod's view. Think of wise men and people in priests and shepherds and, and the family itself and John the Baptist's family. Do you think that everything that involved in the incarnation, that Jesus slipped in the back door? There must have been an incredible buzz going on in terms of the incarnation. And John the Baptist, just to help us along a little bit, encounters this person and in front of tens of thousands of people says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the reaction? I couldn't care less. So, so what? You know, once I was uh, preaching in my previous church, 
And I don't know whether you, any of the preachers ever know this, and probably as somebody listening uh, to this, yeah, um, this would probably happen to you on time, that sometimes you make uh, comments that are not referenced to your sermon, but you make them, and that's the point that where everybody else picks up on. So you want them to pick up on the thrust of your sermon. You make a throwaway comment, and that's the one that they come and talk to you about. And you just have to say, okay, God's sovereign. I don't understand it, but that is dead frustrating. And, and I am to quote a side reference to Revelation chapter 3, 15 and 16. You know that verse is where it says, uh, I know your works, uh, you are neither hot nor cold. Uh, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I would spit you out of my mouth. Now, that was a side reference. And uh, a man who actually, just, just so that Callie's here, that, no, that uh, left the church quite after this <laughs> point, he, he actually came to me and he said, Nigel, he said, that was one of the best sermons that I've heard for a long while. So I thought, we're on a winner. He said, I, I am one of those lukewarm people that you are talking about. And I thought, magnificent this is the point and and we know that we had uh, actually counseled them now just so that i'm just talking to kelly without naming names uh, we had a, an, a marriage issue with them that had exploded as it were and i thought this is a god moment i'm lukewarm this is how i am this is going to change and i thought about the marriage the children the whole life as far as i know that was it the statement I'm lukewarm, was it? He just said, I'm lukewarm. And, and he bogged off. And as far as I know, well, as, well, we know, he never did anything about that statement. Uh, and I just wrote down in here, this is even worse, because he was indifferent about his indifference. When you think about it, he knew it, but he was indifferent about his indifference. And I am shocked today, if I may say this, that actually we also, we don't need to look at those people and just say there is an indifference in regard to Jesus and it was then. I I am concerned that in our day there is an indifference towards Jesus, that that exists. That the... the songs we sing and the scriptures that have read, they sort of don't have an effect, do they? I said it was negative. <laughs> but, and the point is, what I look at, and I look at this, is it isn't the song, it's the person. Who, who am I being indifferent about? Whom am I being indifferent about? And when you look at some of the things that you you think, how can I not react, shape my life, change the way that I am, when I put myself in front of the, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So you just look and you think, you know, even in John chapter 1, it starts off, you know, Jesus was with God in the beginning. Well, that's enough to keep me going for the rest of my life. There was no point at which Jesus came into being or began a relationship with God. The person that is standing in front of me is eternal. Uh, And how am I going to react to that then? 
The, it says in the same verses that Phil will come to next week, it says, the word was made flesh. And I just think, did he make you want to break out into tongues at that point? If you weren't a charismatic, you are now. Because just that statement, the, wo- the word, the creator, the, the incredible person has been contained into this fleshly. And don't you go, how on earth does that happen? That God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That, that God came amongst his people is just extraordinary. I just think as you read through the Bible, you just meet statement after statement after, that are designed to knock the socks off your feet. That's the idea. They're not, it's, we're not talking about, please ban daily devotions. The idea is that you are swept off your feet into a love relationship where you are bound in this bubble of glory in regard to who God is. It isn't about that I got up and read John chapter 1, verses 14, now I'm going to work. Amen, sister. It wasn't literally, you get to Colossians and you go, he is the image of the invisible God. You're supposed to go, whoa! You're supposed to give yourself something. Christ is the perfect manifestation of God, the very substance and the embodiment of, cre- of the Creator. And you're supposed to just stop and worship. You are not designed actually to be indifferent. These things are supposed to just get under the skin. You know, we read, didn't we? And we, 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 the songs told us, I got rather over-excitable. And I'm not going to apologize that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. That is... It says in Philippians that he's the head over all things. All things. That means your university course, your university, your place of work, your boss, the ground that you work on, all things. He's the head over it. He's the head over your neighbor, everything that you can think of that you put under the terms of things, he's in charge of it. And the people that you, you must, the best thing that you can do is have a little smile sometimes and go, ha ha, you don't know what I know. And it's just true, because that gives you security, because if you think that it isn't like that, then you go into these thinking things, I'm defeated, I'm lost, this is a terrible place, it's evil. If God is over all things, it can't be the place that you think it is. That's the thing. You, and, and so you walk into it going, Dah-ha. and that's the idea. You know, Jonathan brought over things like, there's just so many. Of the, he's the light of the world. You know, he brings light into our darkness. Haven't you felt that sometimes? You know, that God's come, that dark moment, bush. You know, he's changed you. He's brought you out of darkness where you were in your sin and where you were in your transgressions and iniquities. And he plucks you out and he places you into his kingdom. He took you out of darkness into light. And you go, "Mm mm-hmm. You know, and look, you know, I'm from the Midlands. The Midlands can understand, sorry, it's in the notes. I, I can, we, we are the worst at understating it. But actually, I'd like to say this, the Midlanders are not the worst. Christians are. 
And we do this thing, don't we? Sorry, Claire. You know, we look at these things and we go, oh, it's just the Americans. They get enthusiastic, you know. And we, you know, because they, you know, they do that thing. Say amen, brother. You know, we do that sort of thing and we go, we don't like those. No. No, those terrible Americans. And that sort of stuff. We just, can't, we just get ourselves. And you look at Scripture and Scripture is, is made to have an impact. It's made to affect us. If you look at it, he is the anointed one. The Messiah has come. Look, let's do these quickly. He's the good shepherd. He's come to care for you. He's the bread of life. He's come to, prov- to provide for you every uh, satisfaction that you might find. He's healer. He's forgiver. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the son of David. He's the man of sorrows bearing your sin. He's sinless. He's holy. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's the prince of peace. He is Jesus. and he is here that's the key moment when we saw in scripture and he said he went and he he, and the word is alos he left his spirit amongst us and it's almost as if that same jesus walks around amongst us Sorry, Chris, but you're getting a poke. Here he comes. He walks around amongst us. And occasionally, some person like Derek stands up like this. And I'm Jesus, and he walks around. And occasionally, this one person goes, he goes, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and we, he does it in front of these orders. So when somebody prays, some, when somebody prophesies, when somebody shares their faith and all that sort of stuff, we, we actually think that the person that has done that is the loopy guy that has got rather over-enthusiastic about Jesus. When he, John the Baptist, and people like him, they are the right ones and we're the wrong ones. That's the point. So we think that we, I don't know whether you noticed last week that Phil Harmon had a moment. He stood here with his bass guitar and I was trying to communicate with him and it went something like this. Phil. (laughs) 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 And we all go, don't we? We all go. And Phil was in one of those, I've just seen Jesus moments that come out like... (laughs) Sort of things. And he, he's managing to play the chords, but there's nothing coming out of here. And, and we all go, don't we? And this is the problem. We all go, Phil has gone odd. That's what we do. We go, Phil has gone odd. The Christians have gone odd. You know, I couldn't possibly be like this. Please understand this. If there is no reaction in your heart, you were dead in your sins. You are now alive to Christ. You are alive. And if there's no reaction, you need to deal with the sin of indifference. You need to do it. It is actually in time, I think, to kill indifference in the church. We need to kill it, guys. This thing needs to die. It is a sin. And we need to not, we need to not make people who react to the wonder of Jesus as the odd guys, which is what the church does. Oh, it's just got this odd guy that sort of does that. No. You know, it's, it's just the John the Baptist thing, stands in the desert. He'd behold the lamb. No, come on, guys. Let's not kill it. Let's, get, let's light it. Because, it, look, can you imagine what indifference does? If, it, if indifference is like this, can you imagine what it must look like to the world? So let's uh, carry on a little bit. That's a bit negative, isn't it? But there we go. 
took me ages to make that work. Verse 11. What will we do? We, we might not go all through this because I don't want you to suffer too much. Verse 11, he came unto his own and his own people did not receive him. Now the, the verse appears at first glance to actually be the same as, as, verse, as, chapter, as verse 10. But actually it's more personal if you look at it. It's his own is included in it. It's suddenly become personal. So... Uh, he, the Word, the Light, Jesus, came to his own. Now, uh, Augustine translates it like this, his own property or possession, better, his own home. Uh, and so in the verse, his, pe- uh, his own people did not receive him. Now, don't you find that quite shocking? I find it shocking because it looks like this. That's why I find it shocking. The words used mean that we're asked again and again to use our imagination and actually see the poignancy and the tragedy of the situation. I want you to imagine for a moment uh, that you have got endless amount of money uh, I know that's a difficult one for some, to, for some of you to imagine, but just go there with me for a moment. And I want you to think that uh, you've, got this ima- you've got this money, and what you're going to do is build a home that you would like to build. So you've just got a piece of paper. You've got a man in front of you, that's, uh, uh, that, and you are also the person that is able to build it. So not only can you design it, but you are clever enough to build it. So you are superhuman. You've got incredible amount of creativity and incredible amount of gift in terms of what you can do. So the first thing that you do is that on this piece of paper, you design your home. It is literally the home of your dreams. It's got everything in it that you would want to put into it. It's got five loos because you've only got one and walk-in showers and everything that you can imagine. You put, you put 17 cars on the drive or whatever you can do. It's got self-cleaning windows for any lady or whatever or any man that has to go through it. But it's got all those. So can you imagine that? Now, now you've got it. You've got it on a piece of paper. Such is the gifting that you build it. That, that you know, as people going by and they say, they say, what are you doing? They say, building the home. Building home. And it gets built and it gets built and it's built. It's built absolutely to your design. So not only have you built it and you've designed it, but now you think, what am I going to do with this thing that I've got? And you go, let's have a party for my family. So you write the letter to all your family and you say, I've designed a home and I've built a home and I'd like the family to come. So in my, my case, my brother and my sister-in-law and my nephews and all that sort of stuff, I, I invite all the family. I invite my mother-in-law and that side of the family. So I invite my sister-in-law and, and her husband and all that sort of stuff. And there's a day in the diary when the family come and gather in, in my house. But what happens is that I just have to pop out for a moment 
So I, they're, they're there, the home that I've designed, the home that I've built, the family that own my name are all in there. And they're all enjoying themselves. They're popping the corks and they're eating the nibbles and all that sort of stuff. And, and I'm looking at it and you can hear the noise and, and the parties going on and the kids are running rampage over here and everybody's having a whale of a time. And I come through the door and it goes like this in John chapter 1. And his own people did not receive him. is what happened guys this is literally what happened God designs a world he builds a world he creates a people after his own image to populate that world he even gave them the ability for them to enjoy the world that they were in and when he came he just stood and whoa. Let's put some theological context to this. Are you surviving? <laughs> it's a challenge, isn't it? Theological context. Who are his own? Well, they're not the the pagan rejectors of the one true God. This is not the Romans. This is not the Greeks. This is not the other nations. This is the people descended from Israel itself, his own uh, people, the people of God. This is a relational term. These are the people, the people of God, the very people he thought would be ready to welcome him. This is his people. Isaiah chapter 65, this is a prophet in the Old Testament prophesying about to the people of God, said this, I've spread out my hands all day to what sort of people? A rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke my face continually, sacrifices, sacrificing where? In their own gardens on their own bricks. If you were God, that must look strange, mustn't it? In terms of what you've built and who you are and what you've done. Jeremiah chapter 7, another prophet talking to the people of God, the people whom he built the world for and who designed the world for. He said, For the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent my servants and prophets to them day after day, Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Ah, and then in the book that we've got here, John, the book of John in the Gospels, it said, when Jesus had said these things, so he'd been talking to them, he departed and he hid himself from them. Though he'd done many signs before them, they still didn't believe him. It's shocking, isn't it? And we can be appalled looking back at those sort of things. A history of, well, actually, I, I, I don't want him. I really don't want him. And if you notice, there is a, uh, what we call a Pauline thought that happens, which is the, the Pauline thought is, if you like, 
the Apostle Paul, the way that he speaks and communicates. That's a Pauline thought. And Paul, when he's preaching, and also it's a, it's a thought that comes from Peter, another uh, apostle that was speaking in the days of the early church. When they were sharing the gospel uh, to, uh, to their, uh, their audience, they would often proclaim Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And then they would add, who was rejected and despised and crucified by you. And you think, what? That is shocking stuff. And yet, here's the interesting thing. While the people of God did not view him as their own, he would view them as his own. Can you imagine that feeling? They're saying, no, we won't own you. And he's going, okay, but I still will own you as my own. And then... He would, you know, all the time they would, uh, the Bible says, reject him and despise him. And he would say to them, no, uh, even though you despise me, even though you reject me, I will not despise you or reject you. And all through the Gospels, you see this tension that occurs as Jesus interacts with people who just had, didn't want anything to do with him and they would they would do this and he would come back time and time with this wonderful approach of grace and love and acceptance towards a people if you put this in our times it's not those in the shops right now in eagle's meadow or the homes that are cleaning their cars and doing the hoovering and cleaning the windows where the problem lies. If you put this in today's context, you'd actually say it actually is the Christians who can reject Jesus. That's the same parallel. Do you find that shocking? Because you would think that you wouldn't reject Jesus. If you remember, Jesus stands up, doesn't he? And he uh, picks up the scrolls and in Luke chapter 4, what he does is he, he reads the scrolls, which is, uh, were from the prophet. He, he, re- he reads them. It's a famous passage. It's the one where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he, he stands up and he reads them out. And after that, a little bit of kerfuffle goes on. And it says there, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And then they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote me uh, to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to to, to none of them, but only one in Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And then he says something else. He said, and there were many lepers. They must have gone, what does he mean? What does he mean about this? Why, why was there just this one? And then he says, there were many lepers in Israel. 
And in the time of Elisha, none of them were cleansed, but only one, Naaman, a Syrian, not even one who followed God. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and they brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw Jesus off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Their reaction, I think, is quite provoking. But do you know, sometimes in our own reactions, we can actually say, I, 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 I don't want this Jesus. We can do exactly the same as this and say, no, this is not the Jesus that, that I, I want. You can do it in the realm of theology. Uh, the, the Jesus that, that I want is the Jesus in my mind in whom I understand. That's good because that's your head. You know, uh, the, I want this Jesus, the one that I can understand. Well, great for you that you can do that. And in this passage here, it says, the people of Nazareth love Jesus as a teacher. They love him as a healer. They like him as a defender of the poor. But then he said, I'm God, and I speak on behalf of the God. And they said, no, you're not. You're Joseph's son. You must work, Jesus, in the realms of my understanding. Not, not, not out of the realms of my understanding. And do you know what? God will always work outside the realms of your understanding. <laughs> because he's God. If, if you need to understand it fully, then that, that means that you are God. He's going to do things that you will not be able to explain. Is this Jesus? And you're going to go, uh, and that's you're going to have to go, okay. There's an issue, I believe, today sometimes even in the church with control. You can, you can not want Jesus because of control. This was a, a real conflict in Nazareth. He showed up and they said, here's what we want, Jesus. We'd like you to do it this way. And even churches can be built on that. You know, uh, we, we, here's our framework. We want you to do this this way. Do it this way, Jesus. I, I like it when you do it this way. I don't like it when you do it that way. makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable and uneasy. So we want to control what Jesus does. We want to say to the Son of God, I would like you to do it this way for me. It's an interesting one. I don't know whether you, you see this, but there's, there's one of, I'll call it greed. I don't quite know what to call it. I wanted to change that, but I want to change that one. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of money, uh, obviously, to be made in this situation that Jesus is in the middle of. And uh, if you were Jesus there, you could, you could sort of stay there, which is what the people wanted, and uh, the crowds could come to him, and they, uh, they could build a huge synagogue because Jesus is doing some stuff. And, you know, we could take a huge offering on the back of this because Jesus is healing a few and, and helping a few and that sort of stuff. And people would flock to it. And we could have a big offering and then we could build a bigger synagogue. And we could say, hey, look, you know, come to our synagogue and that sort of thing. You know, and, uh, and this was making a ministry for themselves. 
this was, you know, this was not about Jesus and what Jesus wanted to do. This was about making something for themselves. You know, I, I don't want it like that. I want it like this and I want to do this. And we can often be, be thinking in terms of, you know, I, 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 I'm looking for a ministry for myself. We have people that uh, occasionally have visited us that have actually said that come amongst our midst and said, Here, here's, my, here's my ministry. This is what I, I, I want to do. And, and Jesus is, is beyond our ministry. And we mustn't, make, we mustn't come to him and sort of say, look, look do, do this and do that and do, do the other. Let, let's, let's make a ministry for ourselves. And even if God blesses us and God gives us revival and God heals some and, and God delivers some and we burst out of this place, it must not be about us. It must be about him. It mustn't be about us. We might never, we might dwindle into 20 or 10 or whatever, but it still must be about Jesus. It must be about Jesus whether we are 500 or 5. And it mustn't be about my ministry. It mustn't be about how big my picture is on the website and whether my card has got gold plating on it or whether it has a 3D picture of me that when you press the button it stands up and here's, here's Nigel preaching on a little 3D card. You can have that. It's not about me having a bigger car or the elders having bigger cars. It's not about helicopters and it's not about television programs or anything like that. It is not about ministry. It's not what about Jesus can do amongst us. It is about him full stop and him alone. And you know, we can think in terms of that, particularly um, pastors. I might finish on these actually, but how long have I got? Yeah, no, I'll finish because you're all looking at me going, oh no. Sometimes it's about selfishness. The people in Nazareth, when he showed up, they didn't want to say, Jesus, this is amazing. (laughs) What you've just said is amazing. We'll take what you have said and we'll take it to the nations and we'll spread the good news of, of Jesus. We'll serve you. We'll follow you. We'll give our lives for you. Basically, they sort of said, well, where's my miracle then? What, what can I get from this? And sometimes, you know, people can leave things. We, we're going to have things in our church. When I, when I say this, I, I want to say this with huge sincerity. We're going to have people in our church where we will pray for like Rupert and Fleur for, for six years who will have children. And they will publicly stand up and they will say, God has given us children and you have prayed for me. But we will have people amongst us who we will pray for who will not have children. We will have people amongst us who will come amongst us and will be healed and God will touch them and it will be an incredible miracle. But we will have people amongst us that God will not do that. There is a mystery in it. And, and you shouldn't gather coming for the prophetic word that you might receive so that your life might be changed and you're here or whatever. You must come because you've come to serve Jesus whatever your situation is. And that's, so whether it's good or bad or whatever, it's not about the miracle, it's not about the healing, it's not what, about he, what he does for you, it's about who he is. That's the thing. There's a familiarity that can come with Jesus. I, I genuinely think that sometimes about myself. I know rec- not so recently, I changed my Bible from an NIV to an ESV. And Callie sort of said to me, I pick up your Bible sometimes and it doesn't read very well. 
And I think Phil and I had the conversation yesterday about a Bible, and we were talking about the same thing. I was saying, you saying, what sort of Bible do you have? I said, ESV. So it's just more difficult to read. And, and I did it because what happened is that I was reading the Bible, and I'd had an NIV for many, many years, and I almost could read ahead of it. I don't know whether you've ever done that. Probably in a novel that you've read seven times. But, but, but I could read ahead. I could almost hear the words ahead of what I was doing. I just became familiar. And I, and I bought an ESV literally to shake me up so that I had to concentrate and I had to look at it. And here we find, they say, isn't this Joseph's son? And, and he says, I'm uh, 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 God. And they go, no, you're Joseph's son. You know, Lord, you, you, and he's going, no, I'm Lord, Saviour, King. You know, uh, and, and there's this huge thing. And the truth is that you and I can become so familiar with Jesus. Just so, you know, particularly some of you older guys, you can just become so familiar. You know, I always think that sometimes, you know, some of you older guys, you need to respond so that you set an example to the young guys. Because you, you can do this sometimes. The young guys can be the ones, can't they? You've only got to go like this. Derek, you've sinned. Come and confess. And Derek's up the front. And, you know, and Derek's up here. And he's weeping. He's, I've confessed. And you can feel him. And, and the whole church is emotional because we're standing with Derek in his sin that's confessing. And we're all going, that's a shame. Poor old Derek. He'll grow up one day. And there is old people amongst us that are still living with that sin and it has not affected their hearts because they've just become familiar with this person Jesus I want to say to some of you older Christians you should respond first because you don't don't become familiar with Jesus it doesn't matter whether you grew up in a church whether you've been around Bible teaching for 372 years whether you've been to every conference that New Frontiers would offer and the Evangelical Alliance. It doesn't matter whether you were from a Christian school or not. It doesn't matter whether you're from a Christian family. It doesn't even matter whether you go to Bible college or what. You must not forget whom you serve and love. It's the key point. Don't let Jesus become familiar to you. Comfort I'm going to finish on this because it's, it's, I can say, I'll go, come for the, oh, no, not another one. <laughs> no, no, no. You just, oh, I need to brace myself for this one. He's coming again. <laughs> Comfort. Oh, dear. <laughs> In this passage that we see, we see this incredible picture of the, the, the widow and, and, and of Naaman. Now, do you think it was comfortable for the, the widow who had lost her income and who was starving. That's the picture that Jesus brings. Do you think that there was... We all read the prophet came and we all read the miracle. But what do you think her life was like up to that point? In, in, in good Midland thing, it was grim. It was really grim. Do you think it was comfortable for Naaman to go to another nation and another god, and in his position, go down to a smelly river and publicly humiliate himself? I think the answer's no. <laughs> and you can sometimes do this, uh, you know, 
I, I, I would do these things, but and you get this thing, I, I, I'm not comfortable with it. I'm just not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with, with, with that sort of thing. I would, but I'm just not comfortable. Well, I mean, sort of, the way that I like God to come to me is to stroke my hair. And, and I just like it to be, hmm. And, and, so, and, and it, it's interesting, you know, I, I would pray, but I'm more comfortable not. I, I would raise my hands, but I'm more comfortable like this. And you just think, look, look guys, look, Jesus doesn't make it comfortable. He actually says, this is going to cost you your whole life. And actually, you know, deal with it. It's wrong, it's sinful, just get over with it, come on. You know, it doesn't do... Look, look, look at what these people had to live with. Look at what Naaman had to go and do to get blessed. And you sort of say to him, okay, what you've got to do to get blessed this morning, guys, this is your receiving of your blessing. Here's Naaman. Firstly, you have got to be a person of high regard and you've got to have a, a bad acne. So you've got to come and stand in front of the people and all the people are going to... He was a leper, by the way. Of all the people are going to go, flipping heck, have you seen the spots on you this morning? And, and what you'd rather do, because you want to be comfortable with this, is you'd rather not go to church this morning because of the way that I look. This is Naaman. And Naaman goes, okay. Then he's got to go and go, but I don't even worship this God. So he's got to go in front of, and all these peers are going, what are you doing? And he's going, uh, well, this prophet has said, I've got to go over here, I'm going to go over here, and, and, I, and, and the whole pressure over here must have been enormous. Peer pressure is enormous. Do not do this thing, Naaman. You know, you are a king in here. You're, sorry, you're a commander in here. We worship these gods. And he's going, no, I'm going to abandon what you think and I'm going to go here. And then when he gets there, he's got to stand in front of a load of glib, quite chuckly people who are going to say, and now you've got to dip yourself in my river. And he's going, okay, I want my baptism to be in glorious, what do you call those things, those round things that you drop in bath bomb, bobble, thing bomb. You know, when I had my baptism, I wanted to be like a bath bomb. This is how I meet with God. And he comes and he goes, no, not the dirty river. Please, not the dirty river. And not only the dirty river, he's got to do it. How's he got to do it? Can I just do it once? Let's just do this once. Okay, three, two, one, in, out, go on. Vlog on. No, he's got to do it. He's got to do it seven times. He's got to go one, two, three, dip back. No. Again, yes. One, two, three, dip. One. Oh. And, he's, and he's publicly humiliated for the God in whom he now believes. And he keeps coming to him twice. Okay, I think that I've got it. Because it isn't that sort of one hand every now and again. I just get the hand up, goes, can I get... 
And it isn't like that. Or it isn't on the occasions of, okay, it's a little bit exciting. And it, it isn't like that. It isn't about, I will pray, you know, dear Lord Jesus. And it isn't like that. It's, it is literally that God wants you to get over all the things that come to you because he wants you to be healed. He wants you to be delivered. He wants you to be the person that he has called you to do. But do you know it's going to take you, your name and experience, to be able to break through? And some of you, it'll be one dip, and some of you, it'll be five dips, and some of you, it'll be seven dips. But you're going to have to keep going, dip, until you've got it. And that's the point. It isn't comfort. It's when will I press through from all the things that hold me up so that God can be glorified in me. David was able to say, I will be more undignified than this. He came to his pressure point. You know, every one of us has a pressure point in regard to serving God where you say, I will abandon it all for you. Because what you do, I'll abandon it all as long as it's my way. No, comfort. Because it's just comfort, and it's so embarrassing, isn't it? Have you ever found that? The Christian life really is embarrassing. Sometimes it's awful. Because you have to stand in front of people and you have to go, I'm the mighty man, I'm the big leader, I'm the leper, please can you help me? That's awful, isn't it? That's really awful. Do you know, the commentator says this. These are not my words. (laughs) This is in those little, um, I love this. It says, he said, I just believe that some people need to be humiliated a a few times so that Christ can move you on. It's true. It really is true. It is true. If you really want Christ to Glory be glorified in you. Sometimes you just have to get out, get, get, get out, you know. You just have to get beyond you. The battle's not with him, it's with you. I'll do one more. Where will I finish? Uh, I'll finish there. Religion. <laughs> Religious people, they don't think that they need Jesus because they think that if we do that certain things, we're doing fine. <laughs> oh, dear. They think that if you do, you know, if you do a certain thing in a certain way, then, then, then that's it. I, I, is there anything that's a worse shape than a, a widow that's that is starving and a leper? I think you know the key thing about those two things is that they were needy. We sang, don't we? Oh, oh I need you. I, I think it's from an old hymn, isn't it? Oh, oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. How true, Nigel. How, how true is, is that? Verse 11, he came to his own people. His own did not receive him. I would beg you, and I mean beg, that you not do what these people did. The wonderful thing about grace is that today we will have an opportunity to put that right. And the wonderful thing about grace is tomorrow we'll have an opportunity to put that right. And the wonderful thing about Tuesday is that you have an opportunity to put that right. This is the one that took his sin upon him, took your sin upon himself. 
that in itself is amazing. I want to finish with these these things because I, I just want to do that and then I'll, I'll finish because that just looks so aggressive. Uh, if you look at those verses and we'll stop, I'll, I'll stop now. There's a thing that says about receiving him in there. But to all who did receive him. And there is a sense in which you have to receive Jesus. And you don't just receive him as your saviour. You receive him again and again and again. What does that mean? It means that firstly, if you are not a Christian, you receive him as the one who can save you. You receive it. You see it and you receive it. But as Christians, he comes to us not just as our saviour, but also as Lord. And that's why sometimes when you see in the word in scripture, you see that God, uh, you know, have you made Jesus your Christ, your Christ and Lord? So that means, you know, that if he comes to you and wants to lead you, you have to go, okay, <laughs> I know this is going to be tricky here. Um, but in this, I'm going to follow your leadership. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to follow it. You're leading, I am following. And you go, yes, Lord, okay. I, I, I receive your leadership in this framework. I, I do that. If he comes to you as provider, you receive his provision. If he comes to you and he counsels you, you say, I, I, I receive that counsel and now I change according to what the counsel has been given. You receive it. You receive the thing. If he comes as protector, you receive his protection. Sometimes he'll come as authority. You receive his authority. Sometimes he'll come as king. He will come in all sorts of different ways. But we have to receive Jesus, meaning that we'll take him to, we take him into all parts of our life. So Jesus is Lord of your home. He's Lord of your school. He's Lord of your university. He's Lord of you in your workplace. He's Lord of you in your marriage. He's Lord of you in your parenting. He's Lord of you in your dreams. And you, sort of, you receive his input. I want to I, I be changed by you, by you being Lord. I'm going to stop there. I've got another point, but it's gone on too long. So I want to, for some of you right now, it is important that there are areas in your life and your personality and your character that you say, I receive you to this. I'll receive you to this. I'll let the agenda for those things be yours and not mine. 